Welcome to Fun and Fundraising, everybody. The podcast where we talk with people behind top nonprofit galas and signature fundraising events to showcase how they positively transform their communities. I am your host, Rob Giardinelli, and today I'm so excited to have my friend Hamilton Sneed on. Hamilton is the founder and principal of HAS Events, and he is the main event planner for one of Dallas's top um, fundraising galas of the winter. It's called Symphony of Chefs, and it's as delicious as it sounds, and it benefits an organization called KidLinks, and we're going to talk all about that with Hamilton. And with that, I'd love to introduce Hamilton. Hamilton, welcome, and we're so excited to have you on as a guest today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to uh, to be here and to chat with you. Absolutely. So, you know, tell us a little bit about the mission of KidLinks and what they do. So KidLinks is an organization, um, they're a nonprofit that champions healing, hope and happiness through uh, working with children and their families, uh, focused on therapeutic music entertainment and music therapy programs. They provide this service for free. Um, in hospitals, they work with um, kids with disabilities. Um, they do different programs across um, the DFW Metroplex, but also across the nation. And the one thing that makes them so unique and special is that um, their online library of uh, resources and materials is also made available free for anyone that needs it. Um, and it's all about that healing power of music, communication, um, and kind of coming out on the other side of things. So that's what KidLink's mission is, and that's what they do. That's fantastic. And I love yeah. that, you know, you've got, you know, and we'll talk about Symphony of Chefs in a little bit, but, you know, you've yeah. got various senses and you kind of are combining yeah. different senses together, you know, when you put this event together. And I, I, I never thought about it until you explained it. I was like, oh, that's a really neat way to just appeal to multiple, you know, multiple senses. Now, tell yeah. me about, you know, how you initially got involved with KidLinks in this organization. So my initial um, introduction to KidLinks was actually through another uh, event planning colleague. Um, they had been planning this event for the client for a few years, um, and the client was um, looking for to make a little bit of a change. Um, and the event planner also was transitioning on to some other projects and things. So they recommended us, um, and we had breakfast at a fun little place and uh, about a month later, we were starting the planning for um, their 2017 event. So this was in 2016 when we talked to them um, and have been the planner on it ever since. Wow. So you've been doing that, you know, you've been doing that for a while. Um, you know, yes. talk a little bit about, you know, when you work with an organization for such a, you know, for such an extended period of time like that, how do you go about making sure to keep the event um keep the event fresh and really keeping both sides happy because, you know, I've seen lots of nonprofits struggle with finding the right planner and they get weave in and out of so many so often. So it's nice to kind of hear how you've been involved with the organization for such a long time. Yeah. Our history with a lot of our clients is that we do have them for multiple years and it is, it can be a challenge to kind of freshen up an event. Um, but our approach is multi-pronged, Right. Um, and one of the things that makes us different and and really unique from a planning standpoint is that um, we like to get what I call under the hood. So we work with our clients on everything from the fundraising, from the sponsorship, the budget planning, all of the things of what they're going to make. 
um, from an income standpoint, and then also working with them on the expenses of how do we create the great ex experience that guests are going to have, what's our expenses going to be, and then really kind of working with them throughout that process over the month. So it's not just about, okay, we're going to come in, we're going to plan a great party, and how much money do you have to spend? It's that we are a true, what I call partner with them. Um, in helping them from the fundraising aspect, because at the end of the day, it is a fundraising event and the goal is to make money and you have to have a certain net profit. There's budgets and boards and all the things that you have to um, adhere to. So we kind of work with them that way. And then from keeping it fresh, it's looking at things every couple of years of how can we change things up a little bit, whether it's increasing the ticket price um, to changing the benefits in your sponsorship packet Obviously, we look at what's trending um, from a design standpoint or colors. Um, maybe it's changing the venue. There's all kinds of things that we can do um, to kind of freshen the event. However, if there is a true and tried format for it, meaning that, you know, there's a, a, a timeline that works and we know there's no need to change that, we don't change that. We might change, again, the venue. We might change the design aesthetic. We might change some of the experiences. Either we add something or take something away. Um, but if there's a good framework, we stick with the framework and then make the adjustments from there. Um, but it's always about keeping things fresh and just kind of thinking, even with a theme, right? Just thinking, uh, how can we move forward? What's happening with the organization as well? So if there are changes going on internally in the organization, how do we bring those to the forefront so that um, attendees can understand what those changes are and even more, uh, even better connect with the organization as well. So that's kind of how we work with our clients from that perspective. You know, I love, I love that. And you ended with changes. So I, I want to touch upon this topic um, just because, you know, it is something that a lot of organizations think about, especially now that everything's full throttle. How yeah. has COVID changed the way that you've worked with nonprofit organizations and putting their events together, if, if at all? Um, I think coming right out of COVID, we spent some time really thinking about strategy and how do they retain and regain their donor base, right? So retaining the ones that they had, regaining new donors. Um, but it was also that, you know, they were learning that donors over the you know time period that COVID was happening, I think everybody, uh, people just really honed in on what was important to them. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, gifts that were going to be 15 grand a year or what have you for a table or what have you. Some uh, folks said, look, you know, I can only give you five this year. I can only give you 10. So how do you then kind of work with them from that perspective? Um, but from our planning standpoint, you know, one big change is that we've come to this conclusion that we need to have spaces that have an indoor outdoor feel to them so that people feel more comfortable um, and that we have more space. Uh, but at the same time, people are ready to have a great time. They want to celebrate. They want to have fun. And I think that's another key thing that's really come out of um, on the other side of this COVID conversation is that people want to have fun. So they want to go to an event. They want to learn about the charity. They want to support the charity. But at the same time, they want to have a fun time and a fun experience. So it's a lot about how do you not talk at people, but how do you talk to them in a way that feels engaging and fun, but not long. 
right? And how do you do things that make it seem like it's a fun night? And by the time they look up, they've already been there four hours, but they're having so much fun that they want to stay another 30 minutes or they want to stay another hour or so. And they're not ready to go home as opposed to getting there and and dreading, okay, I've got to sit here through this, what have you, and I want to go home. So um, I think that's kind of one of the, some of the things that we've had to kind of work with from our client's perspective. Um, but everybody's, you know, ready to to or they have been get back into the groove of things but it really has a lot to do with kind of that donor engagement and really regaining new donors um and supporters um and you're finding that like a lot, some people just aren't going to come back they realize that they can only give to or they only want to give right um to one or two charities as opposed to 20 and that's Absolutely. okay yeah, absolutely. And there's definitely, I've noticed that too, but there definitely seems to be a little bit more, I don't want to say deliberateness, but maybe a little bit more intention that, yes. you know, people kind of want to go a little bit deeper with fewer things. And I think that's just the whole that's being just overwhelmed. Life in general. Yeah. yeah. I think it, that happened just, I mean, in, in, in relationships, in, in people conversations, that kind of thing. Again, I think people were at home for so long that they realized, okay, there are certain things that are really important to me. And they've honed in on those things. And coming out of this, they've taken that into the world of nonprofits and supporting charities. And that's Absolutely. okay. At the end of the day, it's okay. Absolutely. There's enough room for, as I always say, there's enough room for everybody. And, you know, oh, yes. with folks that cycle out, you know, and it's, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, but, you know, having new folks always makes an event that helps contribute to the funds. So it does. But before we hop into that, you know, I want to talk, you know, because you produce a lot of top nonprofit galas in Dallas and beyond. You know, what compels you to say yes to produce or be a partner with a nonprofit for their gala or their signature fundraising event? Um, well, first of all, it's it's nice to be able to say, yes, we want to work with you type of thing. Um, it it it's a it's a good feeling to have folks come to you and say, okay, we've heard about your work and that kind of thing. So being able to almost pick and choose a little bit is a is a privilege. Um, but I think one of the things that we really like about working with some of the clients that we have and the reason that we say yes is because many of them do come to us with some sort of a challenge that they're wanting to to fix or that they're facing. So whether it's hey, we've been doing this event for five or six, seven years, or we've been doing it for 20 years. And, you know, we really need to make a change. And that change could be a multitude of things, or we've never had a planner. So it's kind of like, okay, this is going to be an interesting challenge of how do we get them out of their comfort zone? They say they want to make this change. How do we get them out of their comfort zone to um, some of our clients have come to us and they've been doing an event for a few years. And it's plateaued from a financial standpoint. Again, I go back to, I get into the strategy of things, of raising money, and really how do we help you make more money without spending any more money? Or maybe you spend a little bit more money, but you make a lot more. Or maybe you spend less money, but you make more. But how do we help you get there? Because at the end of the day, it really is about the bottom line, the net profits that you're going to take to then do the work that you need to do. So for us, it's kind of facing or, or working with a client that has that challenge. We look at literally every aspect of their event. Um, we go into their donor base of who they're working with um, or who they have as donors. We talk to them about, hey, have you, you know, we see these folks on your list. They've been giving it this dollar amount. How can you, can you get more out of them? 
Or have you thought about asking them to give this, but give it in this way? Um, so it's 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 interesting from those perspectives. And so that's kind of what makes us say yes to those events. Um, and we also really like working with smaller nonprofits who are starting out um, from, and when I say starting out, who are starting and saying, hey, we want to do a gala, but we know we don't know where to start. Um, we like working with those types of clients as well, because it gives us an opportunity to really kind of mold and shape and create an event from scratch with them, but also help them raise significant dollars, hopefully at the end of the day. So we set goals, but we always have a stretch goal. And if we reach the stretch goal or beyond, that's always gravy. Um, so those are kind of three reasons that we um, say yes to the clients that we work with and, and what makes us kind of want to um, work with a client and, and dive deeper into what they're trying to do. That was, I love how thorough and thoughtful you are with who you partner with. And mm -hmm. there's one group in particular I'd like to ask a follow-up question on. And that yep. is, the, you know, the lane that you were just talking about that you were concluding with, that you're either looking to create a new event mm -hmm. or are looking to engage an event planner for the first time. What's a piece of advice you would give to an organization? Because both of those are wanting to take events to the next level in different ways. What's one way, you know, to, you know, that any organization can work with an event planner for the first time successfully? Well, first thing would be to hire a planner. <laughs> uh, you know, I think everybody thinks, oh, it's going to cost a, a whole lot of money. And there are some planners who have significant fees. But at the end of the day, if you can find a partner and someone who's going to help guide you, that's what you need. And planners, we have the experience, the expertise that oftentimes um, an organization may not have or if it's a small board that's a working board or a committee that's trying to put this on, then they might not necessarily always have the knowledge or the skill set or even the resources and the time to really put into planning an event. So there are a lot of advantages to hiring a planner and you don't have to hire a planner to do everything. You can hire a planner to help just strategize. You can hire a planner to consult. You can hire a planner to do everything. You can hire them just to be there on the day. But I think Having someone who has a professional background that you can bounce ideas off of and who can give you the tools and resources is the number one thing I would say that anybody wanting to plan an event, create an event, any of those things needs to do um, because there's a lot of things you don't know until you know them. Um, and at the same time, uh, planners come with a lot of resources and access. So if a planner can utilize a vendor relationship and say, hey, I'm working with this client. They're a new nonprofit. They're small. Can you work with them? You know, will you donate? Or, hey, they've got this budget, but we need it to look and feel like this. How can you work with them? A planner is going to be able to have those conversations because they have the relationship with the vendor as opposed to you just calling that vendor and hoping that they'll say yes. Now, that doesn't mean that if you have a committee of folks who have lots of resources and they have access to things or they know people that they can't put it all together. But if you don't have that background and you don't have the people that have the time and the resources and the access and the knowledge and the skill set to do those things, hiring a planner is going to be your best bet. And in, at the end of the day, it will save you more in time and potential money because you can focus on raising the money as opposed to 
spinning your wheels and not being able to raise the amount of money that you need from the front end of your sponsorships and that kind of thing. And then hoping that you're going to raise enough the night of. So a planner takes a lot of that off of your plate as well in that they can take on all of the detailed things while you got, while the organization can really focus on curating their donor base, because hopefully at the end of this, they're going to get donors that are going to continue to support the organization outside of the event. One thing I'll always tell our clients is um, you have to think about an event in, in terms of if this event were to never happen again, could and, and you were to never hire a planner again, could you and would you be able to retain the donors and support that you got for the event? Because at some point, the event will go away. At some point, it will. The, the, just the inevitable thing, or you're going to want to change it. Um, and sometimes donors will go away. So how can you really retain the relationships with the donors that they're connected to your mission and your organization outside of your event? Because again, at some point, the event might go away. So those are the things that you have to think about. Absolutely. And I love there was kind of an undercurrent. And this is one thing, and you said it, you said it indirectly in several ways. And this is one thing I've always noticed over the years going to things is a good event planner allows the nonprofit staff to be more present and less worried so that they yes. can focus on engaging the donors. Because the gala is really that one opportunity a year where you can get all your major donors in one room and have fun. It's not a one-on-one -on -one dinner where you're asking for a big check. It's a much different type of experience. And a planner just allows the staff to be present and have fun and just... And I don't want to say that things don't come up and they have to deal with them, but they're right. much more able to enjoy themselves than, you know, if they do not have a planner. And that's really one of the reasons is it takes money to make money and your available energy and currency really can, um, you know, help the organization raise a lot more funds. Yeah. A, a lot of our clients have have told us that by hiring us or hiring any type of planner, they were able to be more present for their donors and they and they felt that, right? And their teams, whether they're small teams of four or five people or larger teams of 15 to 20, development, marketing, all the people, they all felt at ease knowing that they had uh, a, an event planning company that was there managing all of the details. Now, again, like you said, it doesn't mean that things don't come up, right? But they're able to be more present with their donors. They're able to develop deeper relationships with them because they're able to spend 20 minutes to 30 minutes having a conversation with a key donor as opposed to five seconds where they have to go, hi, how are you? Great to see you. And then they have to run off and take care of a problem. Um, so it gives them that opportunity to really nurture those relationships in that environment and have a good time themselves and feel great about the work that they're doing. Absolutely. That's, that's the perfect, you know, that's the perfect answer. And, you know, now let's get into a little bit, you know, about the event itself. And yeah. one of the reasons why, you know, one of the reasons I want, one of the questions I most want to ask you is, and Dallas does, Dallas does, I think better than any city in the United States in terms of engaging celebrity guests and mm -hmm. having people come in that really make an impact and really make a difference. What's a piece of advice that you would give to someone looking to engage a celebrity to be involved in their nonprofit gala or signature fundraiser? Um, if you're looking for a celebrity, I think you want to make sure that the celebrity themselves has a connection to your mission and to the work that you're doing and that it's a it's a good fit um, because, you know, the celebrity will have some sort of fee attached to it. Right. But you can negotiate that fee. 
you can negotiate that fee even more if there is um, some sort of relationship or connection to the work that you're doing and they feel connected to it. Um, also on top of that, if they have a connection to the city that you're in or, or someone knows them, that helps even more. But I think when you're working with a celebrity, it's it's about that connection. Um, and then always know that you can negotiate, that everything is negotiable um, and that you want to, I used to work for a speakers bureau. So I, I come from this world a little bit in knowing how to deal with talent. But one of the things that I learned was that you want to try as much as you can to package the ask and go to the go to them with all everything that you want them to do up front. You need to ask them or everything that you want them to do that day or whatever. You want to package it all together when you make the ask. So if you want them to be a part of a meet and greet, you want them to uh, do social media, you want them to do press, you want them to, whatever you want them to do when you make the ask, you need to put all of that up front. Even if you may not necessarily use it all or do it all, if you ask up front, they know exactly what your intention is and what you're expecting of them, as opposed to you signing a contract. And then two to three months later, you're like, oh, I wonder if they'll do this. If you want them to do an auction package, um, and one other thing I think is is important too in packaging the deal is that if they have a book, if they have something that they're trying to promote, offer to um, allow them to sell that book and or if it's not appropriate for them to sell it, think about it as an opportunity for you to sell it as a sponsorship um, where you can say that you're going to purchase X number of books from their publisher. It helps them because at the end of the day, it's going to help their numbers from a sales standpoint. It's also a negotiating tool. So if they've got a fee of XYZ dollars, but you can build in the, per the that you're going to buy so many books, you can technically take that off the cost of their fee because at some point they're going to get that money back from their royalties and all of those things. But they see that you are intentional and that you set up expectations and you're intentionally saying, this is what I want. This is what we're willing to give you. And then there's no gray area. Um, when it comes, you know, a month or two months before the event or even a few days before the event because they have everything there. So everything from negotiating travel, all of those things you want to kind of build into that one celebrity ask and make sure that they have that connection to who you are as an organization because there's nothing worse than having someone that's a celebrity be a part of your organization and then they get up on the stage or they say something that doesn't necessarily make sense or resonate with the organization of who you are, right? Um, that that just doesn't hit home. It it looks off um, and it doesn't set the tone for what you want for your event. So that's what I would say from a celebrity standpoint, just because it's, it's very, it's critical. I mean, there's a lot of folks that do luncheons and that kind of things and have celebrities come in or even evening events with entertainers and entertainment's a little bit different, but if you're going to have somebody speaking and that kind of thing, you want to make sure that it's it's a good fit for everything that you're doing. Absolutely, and I love how you you tied multiple things together with the celebrity. So it's not that that it that it really is kind of to what you were talking about at the beginning of the podcast. It's really a partnership that mm -hmm. you know you're you want them to help your cause, but you're also willing to help them and support them promote their project, their book. Yeah. their album, whatever it is, so that it really feels like a two-way street. And not yes. only are they connected, but they also feel that 
their kindness is also being returned by the organization. And that's a really important thing that I think some nonprofits, when they get so passionate about the cause, sometimes that can be lost in, you know, in hindsight with people. So I love how you explain that so expertly and just tying those two things together. Yeah, that's important. Absolutely. So, you know, let's talk a little bit about Symphony of Chefs. So what I love about this event is, is that you feature lots of different top chefs from the DFW area. So how, you know, tell us a little bit about, you know, because one thing we haven't really talked much about on this show, and we need to talk more about our menus and making sure to have a good culinary experience. So yeah. how do you all as a team go about curating a menu that respects the talents of the diverse range of chefs that, you know, chooses to participate in this type of event? So Symphony of Chefs is actually, it's it's one of our, one of my favorite events of the year. Um, it's a lot of work, but it is it is so much fun. And the, the chefs that participate have a great time and our partners and everybody that that comes have a, have a good time. Um, as far as menus go, this event's a little bit different. Um, there are a lot of chef events that go on in town where they have, and, and they're all great, right? But this one is a seated dinner where the chef is actually cooking um, at the dinner table for 10 guests. So they are as close to you as you would be if you were in the kitchen of the chef's restaurant. That's how close you are. Um, and you get to see them up front while they're doing their thing. They're cooking their dish. You can ask questions, all of the things. And so one of the things that makes this event very different is that a lot of our chefs, when they do some chef events, they're asked to do a specific course or a specific type of entree or what have you. We don't give the chefs any stipulations at all in their menus. What we do is we say to them, hey, we're, we've got this event. We will work with them in partnering them with a wine partner. Or if they have someone that they want to bring on board as a wine partner, then they can do that on their own. But we allow them to get as creative as they want. So if they are thinking about putting something on their restaurant menu, but they've been hesitant to try it with you know, the group, this is their opportunity to do that. If they have just launched a new signature dish and they want everybody to know about it, then they can put that on the menu. Um, or if they've been just wanting to do some family recipes that don't necessarily uh, work with the restaurant that they own and or are executive chef of, this is their opportunity to do that. Um, now, granted, you know, there's 10 people at a table and somebody's gonna have a gluten allergy or something like that. We work through those details, but overall, we allow the chefs to really just create and do what they want. Um, they have to do four courses. It's not dessert uh, or four courses without dessert. So the, the dinner chefs don't have to do a dessert course unless they want to, um, because we have some other chefs that do the pastry course. Um, and then there are two one to two chefs that do the past hors d'oeuvres as the part of the cocktail reception. But from a dinner standpoint, each of the chefs has four courses all paired with uh, wines with each course and they can pick whatever menu they want. There's a process to how the guest gets to pick who their chef is. And there are menu previews is what we call them. Um, but otherwise the chefs can just get as creative. And I think that's also why a lot of them say yes or why they enjoy the event so much because they're not, they don't, they aren't dictated or there's no um, set tone of what they have to do. We do give them food providers and that kind of thing and say, hey, you have access to all of this great produce or this great 
proteins or what have you. But again, they can do whatever they want. You know, that's amazing. And I want to, you know, I, I'd love to ask one follow-up question. And, you know, yeah. you talk, you touched upon a little bit about wine. And I think that's one of the reasons why a lot of organizations may hesitate from doing that, you know, from doing this type of event. You know, how does the team, you know, what would you recommend in terms of finding the right partners and creating the right partnership between the chef, the wine, and the food? So, um, we, from my standpoint, my team and I, we have a lot of great relationships in, in the industry, um, one of those being the alcohol and, and beverage category. So what we do is we reach out to our contacts and that could be at a distributor. Um, we have done some blind ask in just reaching out to great wineries across the country. Um, we've shared with them this particular event and told them that this is what we're doing. And we've talked about how it's a very one-on-one -on -one experience. Um, I think what's kind of been special for the wine brands is that a lot of times, well, there's two reasons. One, they already have a chef that they support or their wines are already carried in a chef's restaurant. So it makes it a perfect fit. There are other times where it's wines, uh, wine brands that are like, hey, we've actually been trying to get in front of this chef or trying to get into this restaurant. So they see it as an opportunity to work with that chef because we allow, so we curate the chef list. And then if the chef tells us that they want us to help secure the wine, then we go and we get all of the wine brands, we get them organized. And what we do is we allow the wine brands to pick who they want to work with. Um, and there's a method to the madness of how um, they get to choose and when they get to choose who they get to work with. However, um, we give them the chef list of here's who's asking for support and here's who their restaurants are and who's the chefs and they can pick them. And then what they do is we put them in touch. Um, the chef might already have an idea of what their menu may or may not be. And if they don't, then they work very collaboratively on tasting wines and picking them out. If the chef has an idea of their menu, then sometimes the wine purveyor will say, okay, we think these wines would be great. Um, they might do an in-person tasting. They might ship some bottles of wine to the chef so they can try them, um, but they work collaboratively in that manner. And then obviously they show up to the event and guests get to enjoy it. Um, there's that conversation as well. So the, the great thing about it is not only do the guests get to interact with the chef, if the wine brand, because that we allow them to, wants to bring their psalm or their wine rep to the event to work with or to kind of entertain, for lack of a better term, guests that are at the table, they're able to do that. So also another benefit to the wine brand is that now they've connected with a chef who could potentially start carrying their wines if they don't already have them, or maybe there's a new vintage or new wine they're wanting to get in. But also on top of that, they're connecting with the customer and the customer can then figure out, Hey, I love their wines. Let me become a wine club member. Or I want to, next time I see them in a central market or a seagulls or what have you, I can go and purchase that product. So it's a win-win for everybody. And at the end of the day, it's nonprofit. So they're donating all of this product and great stuff to us because we're giving them great marketing and benefits. And there's some things that we do with our cookbook that everybody gets at the end of the event as well, where they get marketing and promotion and that kind of thing. But it's it's a whole thing. And, and that's why I say I love this event because there's so many layers and so many pieces, but it's all about bringing great people together for one cause. Well, and I love that, you know, what, what I've really heard in that answer is it, it ties a lot to what we, you were talking about in the beginning about partnerships that, mm -hmm. you know, 
your philosophy really does, you, you can see how your philosophy expands just beyond the partnerships you create, but it goes also to, you know, the restaurants and wine brands or, you know, it, it's just amazing to kind of see how that, you know, how that, how that process goes. And you had mentioned, you know, but there's a, you know, a, a culinary book that people get as part of the experience. Yeah. Can you share a little bit about what are some other things that people can expect to experience at this year's Symphony of Chefs? Um, so Symphony of Chefs, uh, so everybody gets a cookbook. So one of the asks that we get, uh, get from the chefs is that they give us a recipe. It can be anything that they want, a family recipe, um, their signature dish, um, anything it could be one of the dishes that they're cooking that night. So we put together this, uh, about 30 to 40 page cookbook. It's beautifully bound. Um, and so every guest gets a copy of that. All the chefs get a copy of it as well. So they can see what their chef colleagues put in there. Um, it's got information about obviously the organization. We put information in there about the wines as well. Um, so it's an opportunity for folks to remember that. Um, so if you're not a cook, but you can, you know, get the cookbook, it's also a good reference guide to, Hey, um, you know, let's look at some places that we can go have dinner tonight. And you basically use that cookbook as your restaurant guide. So it, it serves multiple purposes. Um, we are, this year will be the 14th anniversary year. So, um, coming up, so it'll be the 14th year that symphony of chefs will happen. Um, we are moving, as we move into year 15, we're going to start hinting at some things that people will get. But essentially, uh, we're going to do our our cocktail reception uh, with our featured hors d'oeuvre chefs. Um, we'll have probably a specialty cocktail this year, um, working with some new exciting wine brands there. Um, we've got some champagne things that are planned, so we are going to add that to this year's event. We normally have champagne, but we don't make a big deal about it. But I think this year, as we start moving into year 15, we're really going to kind of hone in on that with a special toast that we do. Um, one of our key partners from last year, hopefully we'll get them back on board this year, but they seem very interested, um, provided all of our guests, chefs, and our sponsors. Uh, with um, home appliance products. So Crux Kitchen, amazing, amazing appliance brand, um, gifted everyone with that. That was their chef gift this year. So they've got a new set of products that are going to be launching. So we're talking to them about that. So that'll be something that we do there. Um, and then obviously the dinner itself is going to happen. We'll have our dessert chefs um, and the music element. So every year we do something different with music. So we're trying to think a little bit differently about what we do music wise. Um, obviously it is a dinner, so people want to be able to enjoy themselves and talk and that kind of thing. But um, we're trying to figure out this year's music program in what does that really look like? Um, we've had everything from symphonies to strings and to DJ um, one year. Um, we have had a um, couple of bands. So we're just trying to figure out what that looks like, but that'll be a part of the experience from cocktail to dinner um, and then to like kind of the dessert time period in that scenario. So um, those are some of the special things that we have kind of planned coming up, but everybody loves the cookbook. That's always like the hit. Everybody looks forward to getting the cookbook and um, taking it home and checking out the recipes from the chefs and that kind of thing. So it's fun. That sounds amazing. I mean, it sounds amazing. And I'm already hungry listening to <laughs> and extremely thirsty listening to all this. So, yeah. you know, we're, we're about out of time, but I have one final question for you. And that is, what is, in your view, what is one thing 
that all successful events have in common? Um, I would say experience, right? And I use that term in the meaning of from the time the person walks, gets out of their car to the time that they get back into their car, what experience did you give them? And how did you make them feel? Because people remember all of the things that, um, all of the things that happened and how they felt when they were there. And are they talking about it after the fact? And are they talking about it in a positive way? And, and sometimes negatively, but negatively in hopefully a constructive way. But how did you make those folks feel? Because that's going to want them hopefully to come back again. Did you make them feel warm and welcomed? And did they have a good time? Did they have fun? It's all about that feeling and that experience that you want to create. Um, you can have, you know, some, you know, um, maybe the chicken dish is too salty or something like that, or maybe they didn't get enough of a past appetizer, or maybe they didn't win that live auction item or that sign on auction item. But overall, did they have a really good time? And did they connect with your organization? And how did you, as an organization putting on an event, how did you make them feel from the moment they walked out of that car to the time they got back into their car and got home? That's what I think people need to kind of um, think about. And that's what makes a successful event. If you made everybody feel warm and welcome and excited about being there and that they felt like they learned something, then you've had a successful event. And obviously, at the end of the day, it's about bottom line and making money. But those folks will hopefully come back. They'll want to bring more friends. Those friends will want to come back and bring more friends, which will only help your event grow. You know, so that's what you want. Absolutely. Well, the experience, this experience has been wonderful. So I can't think of a better, a better thing to end on than that. So Hamilton, thank you so much for, for joining us today. We really appreciate you having you here. Thank you for having me. It's been great. Absolutely. And the 14th annual Symphony of Chefs Benefiting Kid Links will be held on February 26, 2024 at the Armstrong Fieldhouse in Dallas, Texas. For more information, please visit kidlinks.org. And that will do it for this episode of Fun and Fundraising. I'm your host, Rob Giardinelli, reminding you to keep it fun, keep it interesting, and your guests will have a great time. Have a great day, everyone, and take care. <laughs>